If you love the Lord, could you just worship him right now? You're thankful for his love that reached for you. When you were unreachable, it felt like while you were an enemy, while you were still yet a sinner, God's love reached for me. I want you to think about that for a second. I don't, we, so many times we think we found God. No, we didn't find God. God found us. And you know what? He's always been looking for us, searching after us. Even in our darkest, deepest, most ungodly times of our life, the most carnal moments of your life, guess what? God still loves you. And he's interested in you. Amen. You believe that tonight? I believe that. I believe that tonight. I believe that tonight. I, I, I'm thankful that I know that I serve a God who is in absolute control. When the world feels like it's out of control, God is in control. And I'm thankful, too, that I serve a God that cannot be manipulated by men, by humanity. Right? He has his own timeline. So we trust in him. He's in control of not just the earth, but the entire universe. We either can believe that and have faith in that and take confidence in that, or we can just lose our mind. And I don't plan on losing my mind anytime soon. Amen? Amen. So I'm thankful that that's the God that we feel his presence here today in Jesus' name. You may be seated tonight. We're going to continue our, our thought process of rethinking our life. Everybody say rethinking our life. Our, our, our kind of sub thing has been change our thinking. Say that with me. Change my thinking. Change my life. In other words, all life change begins where? By changing the way that I think. Most of our problems reside right here between our two ears. Are you with me? And so tonight, we've, we've talked about several different ways. Uh, we, last week, we talked about rethinking our view of ourselves. We've talked about thinking like Jesus thinks. We've talked about several of those things, defeating disappointment, all of those different things. I want to go, and here, here's what I want to do here tonight, because I don't think that I'm going to get through all of this. This is a lot of content here. We're going to talk about rethinking our view. Everybody say, my view of sin. So here's the challenge, ladies and gentlemen, as human beings, our view of sin is different than God's view of sin. Are you with me? My view, everybody say my view of sin is different than God's view of sin. You want to know how important sin is to God? Look at the cross. Amen. You want to know how important sin is? Look at the cross. You want to know how much God loved you in spite of your sin? Also look at the cross. All right. So we're going to dive into the deep end of this. Everybody say the heavy end. All right. And I want to try to do three things here tonight. I want to try to help you to rethink your view of sin and define what sin is because in our world, sin has become a very casual thing. So casual to the point that we don't even talk about it hardly in church anymore. Right? So I want to redefine our view of sin. I want to talk about the problem that sin brings into our life. And then I want to also bring you the hope that there is an answer to your sin. 
Are you with me? All right. So I don't want to leave you without any hope, but I promise you there is hope. And the hope for my sin is on that old rugged cross. Amen. Pastor's been preaching to us over the last several weeks about the finished work. Everybody said the finished work, what Jesus Christ has done when he said it was finished. In other words, he paid the complete price for our redemption. So every problem that I'm about to present to you tonight has been paid for by this, by the cross of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Are you with me? Is that good news? So I'm actually going to fast forward and kind of give you the good news before I give you the bad news. But if there was no bad news, then you wouldn't need, you wouldn't even know that you needed good news. What is, if I were to ask you right now, what is the biggest problem in your life? Many of you would give me different answers. Some would say financial pressure. Some would say a strain in a relationship or a conflict in a relationship or some would say deadlines on my job or a difficult boss or limited resources or some of those things. How many of you can identify with any of those things that I just said? Those are challenges, health challenges, right? Family challenges. Anybody with me? You've had those or you are having those challenges and you would give me a list of different problems. So, but let me tell you something. That is not our greatest problem. The greatest and the truth is, is that your problem and my biggest problem is myself. I cause myself more problems than anybody else do does. And so do you. Let me say that again. I cause myself more problems than anybody else in my life, and so do you. And I do that by the way that I think. Because when I don't think correctly, it causes me to feel incorrectly. And when I don't feel incorrectly, I tend to make bad choices. And that those choices cause problems in my life. Most of the problems in our life are caused by the way that we think. All right? Let me say that again. Most of the problems in our life are caused by the way that we think. The Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else. Sometimes we tell ourselves things that are better than they really are. Sometimes we tell ourselves things are worse than they really are. Not everything that you feel is true. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, your feelings will lead you astray. Not everything you think about yourself is true. In fact, I give you permission tonight, right now, to stop believing yourself about some of the things that you're telling yourself. Oh, that's good preaching right there, and you just missed it. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel it doesn't mean that it's true. Why? Because our thoughts, if we're not thinking properly according to God's word and according to our identity in Christ, will lead us astray. And let me tell you something. Our feelings will definitely lead us astray. Amen? When we act on our thoughts that aren't correct and our feelings that are not correct, we're going to have behavior that's not correct. Where do we get that from? We get that from our sin. Everybody say our sin nature. For instance, even when you know the right thing to do, do you sometimes not do it? 
I know it's not the right thing to go get Bluebell at 10.15 at night. But sometimes it happens. Sometimes the feeling in, my, in me is so strong that it drives me to the freezer. Right? It's not me. It's the feelings on the inside of me. Okay? Are you, are you tracking me so far? But we know that the right thing to do is always the right thing to do, but we still don't do the right thing. Why? Because you are a spiritual being living in a flesh nature. This stuff right here, pinch yourself right here on your hand, this stuff right here, ladies and gentlemen, is still flesh. Are you with me? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to re think our view of sin first we're going to define what sin means to some people you could ask people what is the definition of sin you know what i'm saying it's it's and you could get crazy answers uh not calling your mother on mother's day right does that make sense you know you could just get crazy stuff you know like that so it could be a myriad of things. And if we took a poll, a lot of people would say a lot of different things, especially people in the world and outside of the church. And when we think about the world's sin, we usually think of behavior. And we usually think of horrible behavior, like things like murder, right? And adultery and bank robbery and fraud and all of those things. And we think of even other less horrible behavior, but that's still bad behavior, like dancing with bow-legged women. We preached against that when I was a kid. Hallelujah. We preached against bowling. We preached against putt-putt golf. We preached against everything but fresh air. Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so we defined all of these things in the same clump as somebody murdering somebody else. Are you with me? However, when you read the Bible, God is far more interested in your thoughts, your feelings, and in your words than even your behavior. Because he knows if you'll change your thoughts, you'll change your feelings. If you change your feelings, you'll change your words. And if you'll change your words, you'll change your behavior. Because when your thoughts are wrong, your feelings are going to be wrong. And then your words are going to come out wrong. And everything else is going to go sideways from there. In fact, the Bible has a lot more to say about the sins of the tongue than the sins of the other parts of the body. Amen? So here's four definitions. Number one, sin, this is in your handout, sin is the opposite of good and the opposite of God. Sin is the opposite of good and the opposite of God. How do I know that? Because God is always good, right? God is always good. He is never bad. And so sin is the opposite of what God is. Psalms 11 and 7, everything that God does is good. We remember that when God created, what did he say? It is what? Good. So God is good, he is fair, and his commandments can be trusted. The Bible says in Psalms 145 and 9, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. If God created it, he shows compassion to every person. Even people that don't believe in him, absolutely people who do not believe in him. How do you think you got here in the first place? Right? You didn't grow up believing in him said, I was born into a Christian home. If you were born in a tire shop down there at Brother, 
that Sam's tire, that doesn't make you a tire any more than you being born in a church makes you a Christian. Amen. He shows compassion to us all and he draws all of us by the power of his love. It is by the grace of God that you stumbled into this place and God filled you and saved you. Amen. Everything God has created is good. First Timothy four. Now what we do is what, what we do is we take what God has created as good and we use it in bad ways. Pastor talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. We take the good that God has made and we misuse it, we abuse it, and then we ultimately lose it. So we take the good. God gives us good things. Ladies and gentlemen, food is good. How many of you like a good steak? Hallelujah. Amen. So food is good, but can it be misused? Can it be abused? Absolutely. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, this is, this is low bearing fruit, but I can't help myself. This is a mature audience. Sex is not bad. God created sex as holy. Sex was always God's idea from the beginning of creation, but we're the ones who misuse it, abuse it. We subvert, pervert, and get hurt when we misuse the good that God does. Hear me very carefully. It's not in your notes, but you should write it down. Sin is always a perversion of God's good gifts. Sin is always a perversion of God's good gifts. Ladies and gentlemen, God created everything in nature for you to enjoy. Are you with me? God created everything. Everybody say everything. In nature for you to enjoy. We as humanity have done what? We have taken the good things of God and we have misused them and then done what? Turned them into what? Sinful things. The Bible says in Job 40, uh, 34, 10, it is impossible for God to do anything evil. He cannot sin or do wrong. And so God is calling us to be more like him. I am being the opposite of God when I am not doing the good things that God has called me to do as his child. Let me give you another definition. Second one, sin is not only the opposite of good and God, sin is the opposite of love. I thought pastor was going to start preaching my message a while ago. Sin is always unloving. Now, we would never consider ourselves to be unloving, would we? But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There's many times in our life when we are unloving. Why? Because God has called us to love every man, not just the ones that we know. Sin is never loving no matter how we try to package it. Jesus walks down the street one day and um, a man approaches him and says, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? And Jesus says, it's easy. There's two of them. Do what? Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love people. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And love your neighbor what? As yourself. So the totality of living and loving for God is what? It's all about love. So if this is the two most important commandments, then sin, everybody say sin, is the opposite of these two commandments, not loving God and not loving my neighbor. 
What do you mean not loving God? There's never a point in time when I do not love God. When we do not love the person in front of us, we're not loving the God that we cannot see. How do I love God, the God that I can't see? I love God by loving Brother Drew. Right? I love God by loving Tommy. I love God by loving the person that's in front of me. How do I serve God? I serve God by what? Serving the person in front of me. Are you with me? So it all boils down to love. But when I am in sin, I am in a place of unloving. I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. All right? Jesus said at the time, as the time goes on and sin increases in the world, that love is going to decrease in the world. You remember that scripture, Matthew 24, as sin and evil increase in the world, people's love will go grow cold. Why is that possible? Because as we continue to not love people and love the things of God, evil is going to be rampant. Amen. People are more critical. People are more crude. People are more rude than I believe they were just 5, 10, 20, 15 years ago. Do you believe that? Why? Sin has increased and love has decreased. So what I'm saying to you is that sin is unhelpful. It's unhealthy. It's unfair and it's unwise and it's unreliable and it's untruthful. Third definition. Sin is always selfishness. Sin is always selfishness. If it's not love, then it's the opposite of love. What's the opposite of love? Self. And so if I'm not loving you, then what am I doing? I'm loving who? Me. And a lot of what we do in life, even though they may be good things, are actually the opposite of what God's called us and created us to do. And we think that we're doing them for the benefit of others, and we're really not. We're doing them to prop ourselves up. Amen? James 3.16, the Bible says, wherever there is selfishness, you will find disorder and every kind of evil sin. At the root, hear me very carefully. I wish I'd put this in your notes, but you can jot it down. At the root of every sin is self-centeredness. Let's review why we're here on the earth. I told you it was going to get heavy before we got to the good stuff. Is that okay? Are we still, you still with me? God did not make you, God did not create you, and God did not put me on the planet to live a selfish life. God put us here to, to put us here for something far bigger than our self. If you're living for self, ladies and gentlemen, you're living in a small world. How many times have you heard it? I know you've heard it from this pulpit. You were made by God and you were made for God. And you were purchased, your salvation was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. You were made by God. Say that with me. I was made by God and I was made for God. Punch your neighbor and say, it's bigger than you. Until you understand this, life is not going to make sense. You're going to live in a selfish little cloud of a prison. Why? Because God made you something for something bigger. You were made to know God. You were made to enjoy God. You were made to have a friendship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, a pastor has been preaching to us on Sunday morning. I, I, I hope that you've gotten that. If you haven't, please go back and listen to the last few weeks. God desires a relationship with you. He's not out to get you. He's not out to hurt you. He's not out to shame you. He's not out to judge you. 
Okay? He is for you. He's in it for the relationship, and he wants you to be in it for the relationship. That's why we can approach God boldly with the, to the throne of grace. Why? Because we have access through what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we do not have to be afraid. But we have to learn that our lives must, we must teach ourselves that our lives must center around God, not center around ourselves. Amen? Whatever you, and hear me, this is, this is important. Whatever you center your life around is going to become your God. It could be your boat. It could be your business. It could be your hunting lease. It could be your hobby. It could even be your family. But whatever you center your life around is going to become God. Why? Sin is selfish and sin is self-centered. Some of you remember a guy named Frank Sinatra. Half of you don't, the other half do. How many of you remember Frank? He sung a wonderful song and he sang what? I did it what? My way. My way. Great song, bad theology. Right? Why? Because at the root of all sin is us doing what? Doing it our way. You ever looked at the word pride? P-R-I-D-E. Where's, what's the letter in the middle of the word? I got me to thinking there may be some other words with the letter I in the center of them. I just saw a list and I thought, well, this is interesting. When I whine, W-H-I-N-E, say, Brother David, we don't whine. We're 30, 40 years, excuse me, all of us still whine. W-H-I-N-E, what's at the center? I, when I criticize, when I gossip, some of you like, you're starting to look this up now. Are you with me? What happens when I lying? What? I, when I'm envious, deceitful, defiant, what? I is at the center of it when I am merciless. I is always at the center of that. Why? Because they're all a result of living a self-centered life. So here are the results of living a self-centered life with I in the center. Anxiety, guilt, fatigue, pessimism. Are you with me? Hostility toward other people. Life gets difficult because I'm at the center and because most of life becomes empty because we were made for something greater. Let me, let me, let me just help you real quick. Just, I just want to help you. you. You might want to write this down if you don't know this already. The greatest way that you can find fulfillment in your life is when you give yourself away to someone else. Amen. When you give yourself in service to something that is greater and bigger than you. You know why we ask people to serve? Not just because we need your help. Because we know that if you'll serve the kingdom, if you'll serve God through serving other people in the kingdom of God, you'll be a lot more fulfilled than you did if you didn't. And we want you to have a real positive, successful, fulfilled relationship with God. And you can not do it just serving yourself. Amen? Amen. 
Fourth definition, sin is not just selfishness and the opposite of love. Sin is also and always unbelief. At the root of every sin at the moment, hear me very carefully, at the moment that I sin, I am not trusting God. I doubt God. I doubt something about God. I'm either doubting his love, his compassion, his wisdom, or his plan. Okay? Are you with me? Unbelief is behind every sin. It is the root. It's the lack thereof. The root of all sin. Hear me very carefully, and I think it's going to come up on the screen. The root of all sin is when I don't believe God is who he says he is, and I don't believe that God will do what he says he will do. Why? Because when I take action in spite of that, and because I believe that, I start doing things outside of God's will and plan for my life. My sin, whenever I sin, reveals to me what I am doubting about God at the moment. Every time I sin, it reveals where I am doubting about God at the moment. In other words, and this is an example, and there's a little chart there at the bottom of your page to help you with this. When I become fearful or anxious any time, what does this reveal to me about myself? It reveals my unbelief in God's promise. There are over 7,000 promises in this book. Are you with me? There's over 7,000 promises in this book. And so when I become anxious, anybody ever become anxious? Right? Anybody ever become fearful? Right? So it's like, it's like not knowing what's in your insurance policy. We have to know the promises of God. And so when I become anxious, I am forgetting that God, right, has a promise for me that I don't have to be anxious, right? In fact, the Bible says do what? Be anxious for what? For nothing. Amen? Anytime there's sin in my life, it creates fear. And fear says that I doubt that God will keep his promises. What about when I'm impatient? When I get impatient, it creates all kinds of problems. What am I doubting? I am doubting God's timing. I am doubting God's plan. When I am resentful and bitter, what am I doubting? I am showing unbelief in God's wisdom. God is a wise and good and loving God, and he has a wise and good and loving plan for my life. And what we do, stay with me, what we do when we get resentful and bitter, we look at other people's life and see how God may be blessing them, and we get resentful because of what God is doing in their life, and when we do that, we forget that God has a plan that is good for our life. Man, this can help somebody here. This, this is going to help somebody if you get a hold of this. Why? Because everything that we do in sin is a response to our wrong thinking about who God is in our life. And we say, well, I don't like my plan, God. I like their plan. Their plan looks like it works out better. And we have to trust that God still has a good and perfect gift and a plan in our life. Uh, how long, what happens when we start to feel guilty? Anybody ever dealt with guilt before or shame before? All right. There's a lot of people that carry guilt around. How, I've got a question for you. How long should a follower of Jesus Christ feel guilty? It's a trick question. About 10 seconds. 
because that should be just enough time for you to say, God, forgive me. Are you with me? But when I feel guilty that I'm learning now, changing my thinking, that I am now doubting God's forgiveness. And that's a sin. Doubting that God has forgiven you is a sin. Why? Because God says, I forgive you instantly, completely, and continuously. And there's no reason for you to carry the guilt that you're carrying all around. There's no reason for you to live a life of shame. If you're living in shame, you are discounting what God has done for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. What about when I feel inadequate? When I don't feel like I'm up to the task, when I deal with feelings of inadequacy, I am doubting what God has said about me. I am doubting God's power in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, I will always feel inadequate if I believe that I've got to do it myself and it's all on me. Right? I will always feel inadequate. But God, if I will remind myself of God's power, what, how powerful is God? He is all powerful. He is omnipotent. There's no weakness in God. There's no circumstance or situation or, or, or thing or, uh, uh, an event in your life, a situation in your life that God does not have the strength uh, to either take you out of or take you through. Now, I'm not saying he takes you out of it every single time, but he's always going to take you through it because you're going to get into situations. In fact, God will allow you to get into situations uh, where you will feel at your weakest time, where you've got to lean on his strength. Amen. Amen. Why? Because just like pastor preached on Sunday, he's trying to build something in us that's unseen. He's trying to build a faith in us that's strong. Why? I, it's not the, it's not my faith that's strong. It's the object of my faith that's strong. And it's the, ob- what is the object of my faith? It is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So here is, here is these challenge, the definition of sin. And we'll go quickly. So what is the problem here? Number one, and this is in your notes. The first problem is this. I was born with a selfish desire to sin. In other words, as a part of my human nature. How many of you are parents? All right. How many of you right now have toddlers? Less than 10. Okay. A couple of you. All right. How many of you remember what it felt like to have a toddler? Right? I have a four-legged toddler. Okay. Furry four-legged toddler. But you remember what it was to be... To have a toddler, right? And so what was the baseline of the toddler in your house? It was always about them. Right? Are, are you with me? I'm not saying your kid wasn't a perfect angel. I know. All right? But if you're around toddlers, if you've worked in Sunday school, wave your hand, Sister Debbie. She, she, she's worked with a few toddlers. If you work with a few toddlers, you understand that selfishness is something that is innate in our humanity. Are, are you with me? Why? Because a toddler wants what a toddler wants. And a toddler is usually going to do everything he can or she can to manipulate you, mom and dad, to get what they want. We can't help ourselves because those toddlers are little mini human beings. And as sweet and angelic as they are, they're still unregenerated sinners. 
Man, woo, that was tough. Man, you didn't know that? That shook some of you up because you never looked at your toddler like that. No, if they have not been saved by the, by the, the, the blood and the power of Jesus Christ, they're unregenerate sinners. And the Bible says their heart is a heart of stone and they'll always be selfish. Amen? So you have to understand, why are you expecting something out of them that's just their humanity? We are all born that way. We can't help ourselves. And without the power of the Holy Ghost and God regenerating our life, we will exist that way. That's true. So it, why? Because it's all a part of our sin nature. Okay? It's, it's just our humanity. All right? Romans, Paul says this in Romans 7. He, he says he's, he's, he's wrestling. One of the greatest, probably the greatest Christians wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's wrestling with the, the desires of his flesh. He said, I don't even understand the things that I do. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Sound familiar? Instead, I do the wrong things that I don't want to do. And I can't help myself. Why? Because of my sinful nature inside of me. Paul says there's a war going on between my flesh and my spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, when you wake up in the morning on Thursday morning, guess what? You're on a battlefield. And it's a battle between your spirit and your flesh. And it's going to never stop until you're raptured out of here. All right? Or until Brother Riley comes and picks you up. Okay? Are you with me? That war is never going to stop. Why? Again, just like I said, you're a spiritual being living in a human body. You have a fleshly existence. And so you have to learn to do what? Shift your thinking. Everybody say, shift my thinking. Realize that my thinking can be selfish if I'm not, if I'm not careful because of my nature. The second problem with my sin is this. Sin breaks my fellowship with God. And let me say this. Sin most likely will break every other relationship in your life. If I hurt my wife's feelings or say something unkind, okay? Somebody was testifying to that over there in the corner. Praise God. If I invited you to my house for gumbo, like we did some, some people the other day, and you walked in and the air was a little chilly and it wasn't the AC, It was probably because I said something to my wife that she didn't like. What was that? It was my, hear me very carefully, men. It was my selfish, sinful nature. And just because we've been in church for 30, 40, 50 years, sorry, you're not exempt from sinning. Why? Because... Here's what happens. Are you with me? All of a sudden, the connection between me and Michelle has been what? It has been hurt. Why? Because of the sinfulness and selfishness of what I just said. Are you with me? Sin breaks fellowship. It breaks fellowship with God and it breaks fellowship with other people. The same is true with God. Sin breaks our connection with God. How many of you have the, uh, the spiritual maturity to understand that there's sometimes in some places you get into your life where you feel like your prayer is bouncing off the ceiling? 
Why is that? It's not all the time, but some of the time we feel that. Why? Because we have disconnected out of the intimacy of our relationship with God. And usually the reason that we have done that is we have turned ourselves, we've allowed ourselves to become selfish people. The Bible says this, Isaiah 59 and 2, your sins are the roadblock between you and your God. That's why he doesn't answer your prayers or let you see his face. You ever read that before? That's pretty powerful. Why? You can't feel God's presence in your life until you deal with the sin that's in your life. Are you with me? Third problem of sin. Every time I sin, now this is, this is going to get a little hairy, but you got to stay with me. Okay? Just, just stay with me. Every time I sin, something inside of me dies. The Bible tells us that sin is a silent killer. How do I know that? The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. And there was no death in this planet until what? Sin showed up. There was no death in this planet until Adam and Eve made the decision to sin. It wasn't on Eve. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. Are you with me? Say, Adam, Eve disobeyed. No, Adam heard from the Lord, and he wasn't the priest over his home. And he should have told Eve what the Lord said. So it was Adam's fault, not Eve's fault. Are you with me? Sin and death go together. Say that with me. Sin and death go together. Why? Because sin is self-destructive. Ladies and gentlemen, I think most of you understand this. Sin always takes you further than you thought you would go. Why is that? Because something inside of me is dying. You ever looked at the word evil? E, what? V, should put on the screen. I, L. What if you flip that around? What would it spell? L, I, what? V, E. Evil is the very opposite of living. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have what? Life. And have it what? more abundantly but sin in our life is always at war with God's promise over our life our evil desires James says make for sin and it's a typo on your notes and I'm sorry but when sin it is finished with us it leaves us what it leaves us dead physically dead not not physically dead it could leave us physically dead but it leaves us what spiritually dead sometimes emotionally dead why? Because there is enormous potential and sin kills the potential in our life. It kills the joy in our life. It kills the reward of living for God in our life. And all of a sudden, sin becomes our identity and not the identity that God has given us. And a lot of people that are going through this track, they say, I don't even know who I am or what I am and where I'm going. Why? Because they have allowed things by sin and they've become clouded and they've been messed up by abuse and misuse and perversion. Right? And all the things that comes with sin and we've lost our identity. Ladies and gentlemen, those things are not from God. Amen? 
Those things are not from God. Sin causes stuff to die in me. I don't have an extensive list, but I put this list together. Sin causes anxiety, alienation, alienation from God, alienation from other people. Sin causes addiction. Sin causes broken hearts, broken bodies, broken relationships, bitterness. Sin causes compulsive desires. Sin causes debt. Are you with me? Sin causes damage. Sin causes disease. Sin causes eternal separation from God in hell. Sin causes fear. Sin causes fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future. Sin causes guilt. And I could go on and on and on, but you get the idea. When we allow sin to stay in our life, it starts doing things that destroy our life. We how many of you have been saved and set free tonight? Are you with me? How many of you have been saved and set free? You understand what I'm talking about. You have salvation in your life. So you understand that now, since you have salvation in your life, through the power of the Holy Ghost, you now have the power to not sin. You didn't have the power to not sin before that power of regeneration happened in your life. But now that you have a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit, you now have the ability to not sin. You don't have to sin. Are you with me? Let me give you this. The fourth thing about sin is this. My sin may be a secret, but it's never private. One of the scariest verses I've ever heard in the Bible and I heard it a lot when I was a kid, right? You probably heard it quoted by mom and dad or grandma. Be sure that your sins will find you out. How many of you heard it just in that exact same voice? You know what I'm talking about, right? And what did it do? It put a fear in us as kids. Anybody raised in church over here? Some church kids over here, you know what I'm talking about? It put a fear in us, right? If we thought, Sister Glenda, if we thought if we were going to try to get away with something, we knew that somebody was going to find out. Now, when I was a kid, we preached against going to baseball games. Praise God. Hallelujah. I snuck off when I got old and big enough to drive myself. I'm going to date myself. I went to the Astrodome. Hallelujah. The last year that the Astrodome was open, I thought I would go. Hey, People say it's the eighth wonder of the world. It's not just a sporting event. It's a historical event. So I'm going. As big as the audience would be, Sister Gwen, nobody would know me. Nobody. I took a girl that I shouldn't have been dating. That's probably the first problem right there. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? I got out of the car. We had pretty decent parking. That was not my wife, by the way. That was pre-Michelle. She said, yeah, she's been to the ball game plenty of times. Hallelujah. So I got out of the car and I'm in the, if you've ever been, I don't know if, I mean, if you ever went to the old Astrodome, you went to the, old, the thing is massive, right? It's, it's, it's really big and there's a lot of parking. And so I'm walking through the parking lot and I heard David, I kept walking cause I felt for sure there was 250 Davids in the Astrodome somewhere. I just kept walking. I kept walking. I kept walking. David Grigsby. <laughs> and, you know, at least maybe there was two David Grigsby's in the audience somewhere. 
No, it wasn't. It was me they were looking for. It was my cousin who shouldn't have been going to the baseball game either. (laughs) Be sure that your sins will find you out. That's not what the scripture is talking about, but we're going to have a little fun with it. Here's what we've got to understand, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what we desperately need to understand. We're all in the same bucket. And we all have sin in our life at some time in our life. And we can try to hide it and we can try to pat over it, just like Pastor talked about a while ago when he was preaching. But let me tell you something. There are still bad effects. Hear me very carefully. When we allow that sin to not be covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. I could have stayed up and I didn't. By the testimony of my wife, I slept very good. I could have stayed up all night doing ungodly, unrighteous, unmoral things all night long. I could have stumbled into this pulpit and most likely you probably would have picked up on something that was wrong in my spirit. Are you with me? So now what? My sin, I didn't do that. I was home asleep with the dog. All right. My sin does what? It now starts to affect who I am and my relationships with other people, even though you don't know what's going on in my life. Are you with me? Romans 14, 7 says this. None of us lives to ourself alone, and none of us dies to ourself alone. I hear people all the time, especially in modern culture, what's the problem with this sin? It's just a small sin or it's a personal sin. It's my life. There's no victim here. What I do with my life is between me and myself and behind closed doors. I'm not hurting anybody else. Well, the problem is this. You most likely are hurting people that you don't know that you're hurting. You know what else you're hurting? You're hurting other people because now you're limiting your potential. You're limiting the good that could come out of your life. Why? Because of the sin in your life. Are you with me? Fifth thing, write this down. Sin does long-term damage. A lot of people think because they don't see God respond to their sin in the immediate that there's no damage or judgment in the, in the long term. But let me tell you something. When we sin, it's like planting a seed. And if we're not careful, the carnal nature of our life will cultivate that seed and it will do what? It will grow and grow and grow and grow. And Paul told the Galatians, do not deceive yourself and do not make a fool out of God. Whatever you plant in your heart, you're going to harvest. And you don't plant apple seeds and get tomatoes. What am I talking about? You cannot, ladies and gentlemen, hear me very carefully because we're saying, there's a majority of us are saying, well, he's preaching to somebody else. I don't have any sin in my life. Hear me very carefully. You can't plant bitterness and judgment and reap love. You can't plant criticism and self-righteousness and reap love. Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. But if you will plant spiritual seed, In spiritual soil, you can harvest a spiritual life. I don't have time to get into this, but now science has proven what the scripture has already tried to tell us is that if we will change the way that we think, 
we can allow God to change our very nature from the inside out. But it must change with the way that we think. And if we don't change it, then it passes on to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, hear me very carefully. Somewhere along the line, somebody's got to say, time out. It stops in my generation. But I have to change the way that I think. So abuse has to stop here. Poverty has to stop here. Wrong thinking about anything in life has to stop here. I don't want there to be two or three generations down the road if God tarries. Uh, and they look back on me or you as a grandfather, as a grandmother, and they say, I wish they had made better decisions. No, we need to thank God. God, I want from two to three to four and five generations uh, for them to look back on me and say, I thank God uh, that my grandparents planted a seed. That was spiritual. And it gave a fruit and a harvest that was eternal. Amen. I'm going to leave you with this. Last thing, number six, disobeying God. And Ashton, you can come, bud. Disobeying God is neither fun nor funny. Now, here's where we get into modern culture. Modern culture has reduced everything to a laugh track. Are you with me? You want to know how serious sin was to God? Look at Jesus on the cross. And Jesus on the cross is no laughing matter. Netflix, TikTok, I'm not here to preach against them. YouTube, I'm not here to preach against them. The reels of social media, I'm not here to preach against them. I love a good laugh just like everybody else likes a good laugh. But hear, hear me very carefully. If we're not careful, it will, if we take more of that in than more of this, it will desensitize our understanding about sin and it will turn it into a laughing matter. And ladies and gentlemen, hear, hear me, please. I'm not trying to be hard, but hear me very carefully. God loves you so much that he paid the price for you not to stay a sinner. But, but, capital B-U-T, God still hates sin. And the world can embrace it. The world can turn it into a, a comedy. The world, you know how the world, not anymore, but you know how, I'm going to tell you how the world used to get us to be desensitized to sins that seemed to overwhelm us as we came out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They started doing it on sitcoms on late night TV. And they would introduce lifestyles, decisions, Things that we would always, we would, we, it would blow our mind and we could imagine that, I can't imagine that they're doing that on, on a television screen. Now you can't say that anymore because it's not just on a television screen, it's on your phone. And they would introduce that and you know what they were doing? They were slowly but surely desensitizing us to the idea that this was still sin. But Proverbs says this, a fool's fun isn't just being bad. 
A fool in his fun is still a fool. And Paul told the Romans, he said, because of your stubbornness and refusing to repent and turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For there's coming a day of judgment when God will judge all the people according to what they have done. Are you with me? But here's literally the best news that you've heard all day. Everything that I've just spent the last 40 minutes talking about has been paid for in one moment of time. So David, it's heavy. Yeah, it needs to sober us. But it also needs to remind us of how extravagant God's love is for us. And he showed it and proved it to us on the cross. So everything that we've talked about, everything that we've talked about, about what sin is and defining sin, how sin breaks us, breaks fellowship, how sin grows, how sin allows things in our life to die. Guess all, guess what? All of that has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in our life. In fact, God so badly doesn't want you to go through that judgment that he came here on this earth to die for you so you would not have to stand there guilty but set free. Are you with me? You can break free. How do I know this? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're weak in your flesh. You're weak in your own ability. You're weak in the things of your life. But God is not weak. He showed you his strength when he came and he died for you at the cross. Could we stand tonight? Now, this is what I like. Now, I've got the power to say no. Are you hearing me? Now, I've got the power to say no. Now, I don't have to do the things that I used to do anymore. I'm not defenseless against sin. I'm not defenseless against addiction. I'm not defenseless against anxiety or impatience or worry or anger or whatever it happens to be. No, why? I have new power. Why? My old sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. And Paul said this to the Romans and to the Galatians. And he said it several times. And you've heard us saying it several times as we've talked over the last few weeks. Those of us who have been buried in Christ have taken on what? The nature of Christ. The life of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin can lose its power in my life. Why? Because Jesus wants me free. How many free people am I talking to today? Could you just lift your hands right now and thank the Lord? We're getting ready to dismiss. I'm sorry I went so long. Lord, thank you for your freedom. If anything, this should remind us of where God found us and where he brought us from, what he delivered us from. All of the things that were attached to that sin in our life, they have been wiped away. All the things that have been sown into our life have been rooted up by the power of God's grace and the power of his blood and the power of his name so Lord we thank you God tonight for the price that you've paid for the redemption that you've paid that you have come to 
set us free. No longer we are bound in the chains of our sin. No longer we are bound to the chains of our carnality. Now we have the power of the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us that can overcome the realm of our flesh and the carnality of this life. And for that